0: Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker Daily. My name's Andrew Harrison and we are up at some ungodly hour to try and plan out what's going to happen in the next uh, few days that you need to know about. With me, blinking and bleary, it's Ian Dunst. Hello, Ian Dunst. How are you this morning? Um, I'm tired, very tired. Well, never mind, Ian. We're going to wake you up with a uh, cheerful run of the week's uh, forthcoming politics events. Lockdown is ending to be replaced with more complex arrangements uh, than we've experienced the government is going to go hard on the we saved christmas angle but rishi sunak is carrying out his spending review this week and we appear to be being softened up for some fairly horrible uh stretches on the financial front oh and on top of that there's the brexit deal to deal with as well so ian is this the week all the bills are coming due I mean, not quite. You,
1: you, We're like taking the spending review. Um, this is really when we're going to start getting a picture of just how much damage we're taking over COVID, basically. I mean, all we've had so far is the sort of the Office of Budget Responsibility stuff in the summer, which is kind of scribbled down on the back of an envelope, sort of, look, this looks like it's going to absolutely twat us. Now we're going to get a better picture of just how much damage it's doing. And the damage is going to be substantial. I don't think um, he's going to be coming out... You know, we're going to start getting the sort of mood music at most for the kind of sort of, you know, consolidation that we'll get further down the line on national finances. But I don't think there's going to be any clear picture of that at the moment. The other piece of information we'll really get is... um, which departments are going to get really hammered by Sunak, given that he's prioritising, you know, defence and infrastructure um, and education and health for for spending. So the, the bills will come due a little later down the line, but this is the point where we start seeing, you know, vaguely what those letters might look like.
0: Uh, where do you think it might land? I mean, because uh, we've seen... A few sort of completely predictable things like the international aid budget is going to be cut from 0.7% of GDP to 0.5%. These are kind of standard practice, from what you'd expect from a conservative government. Do you think that there will be more serious and more surprising moves made? It's possible. I don't know, is
1: the answer. Um, we do know that, well, we don't know, but we suspect that it, there's going to be budget sector pay constraint. What we do know is that there'll be public sector pay constraint, which will probably be kept at about 1%. That is not a good, I mean, to my mind, that's not a very good idea because the last thing you want in, a, in an issue like this is to do anything to restrain demand um and that's one of the things that you do by taking that very easy route of clamping down on public sector pay but nevertheless it looks like that's the way he's going to go it also looks as you say that that 0.7 commitment on international um aid is going to go now by the way that's no small thing i mean the tories don't give a fuck i mean apart from the one nation group of tories none of them have even mentioned this thing but that was by the way it, that was in the manifesto you know i mean th- there's no basis upon which you can credibly do that given that was in your manifesto but nevertheless you know they've they've always hated this they hated it under cameron the idea of helping other countries especially poor countries that are full of non-white people has always been anathema to lots of the people in the conservative parliamentary party and it seems like that's going to be another obvious target but the truth is if you if you're going to do what they're planning on doing with the military obviously with public health and with infrastructure spending which is part of the leveling up agenda then you're going to need to constrict pretty much in every other department apart from education
0: the, the spending on military was remarkable because it seemed, you know, ir- irrespective of what may be needed, it seemed to be exactly the wrong time—possibly the worst period of about twenty years—to announce a huge spurge of, splurge of military spending at a time when you're telling the country you can't afford to give starving kids free- yeah. meals.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. There is, um, there's a long history to this, though. You know, if you—and and I'm not saying that this is why they're doing it. I don't think they're literate enough to be doing it for this reason. I think they're just doing it because they like to beat their chests. And, you know, it's classic Toryism is spend a lot of money on the military. However, your classic sort of Keynesian proposition, right, is that you put money into public spending to stoke demand during recessions. Now, weirdly enough, for the right wing in Britain and especially in America, the kind of Keynesianism they've always been very, very comfortable with is military spending. Like you take Reagan, right? I mean, Reagan known you know, for, as being someone that cut spending, cut benefit programs, et cetera, et cetera. He pumped money. He borrowed money and he pumped it into bolstering the military. So actually, this, is, this has got quite a long heritage of the way that right-wing governments engage in, uh, in stimulus is very often through military projects. So in a way, it's actually kind of traditional conservatism.
0: On, on this traditional conservatism front, Boris Johnson has promised no tax rises, no no VAT rises. So what kind of room does Sunak have to manoeuvre anyway? I mean, the big levers of an economy seem to be deliberately placed out of his reach.
1: Yeah, well, and Johnson's also said that he doesn't want to do austerity, right? That This is a word yeah. that he doesn't want to be engaged with in any way, shape or form. And that's one of the things I think that's protecting us at the moment is that the government's own narrative from before this crisis is creating some sort of limited block to them being extremely economic illiterate, economically illiterate in their response to the crisis. I don't think that will last forever. Um, and I think, that to be honest, by the time we get to 2024, 2025, then we're going to start seeing them attempt to rein this stuff in. And, of course, at some point you want to, but really that's that's not the manner in which you should be going about it. Like we have an extremely anomalous recession right now right it's not like there's any kind of structural reason for the recession in the economy the reason it is happening is because there's been a catastrophic impact on demand because of a public health emergency that would mean we would expect that and of course we haven't seen it yet and we'll have to look at what the projections are but what we would sort of expect that after coronavirus is over there will be a very there'll be a very strong period of spending but by consumers right you think really, there's lots of pent-up demand that people want to go do stuff they want to go out they want to buy things there'll be a lot of people even though a lot of people are having a very very hard time those who actually aren't slightly better off and not necessarily hugely well off but slightly better off are actually having a pretty good financial time during the pandemic because the spending they would otherwise have done going out to restaurants, etc., cetera, going on holiday, they're not doing. So suddenly they've got more money than they've had before. So you've got these two things coming together for after the pandemic, people with suddenly more money than they've had for a long time. And people with more of a desire to get out of their house and fucking spend this stuff than we've had for a very long time. So on that basis, you would have thought that there would be a boom afterwards. And then the kind of thing you'd want from a government, and I'm not saying they're sensible enough to do this, but the kind of thing you'd want is for them to say, look, over the next few years in the long-term sort of prospect medium term will gradually pay back this debt by small subtle increases in taxation by natural inflation rates uh, and by economic growth that's the way to do it but it doesn't necessarily mean they'll be sensible enough to realize it well that brings us to
0: christmas because there's uh, today's front pages are full of christmas has been saved and the sort of you know the, the dangling of a minor consumer boom on the back of christmas spending a uh, full lockdown is going to be replaced by yet more tears non-essential shops gyms and uh i think outdoor sport are reopening and there's going to be a, a relaxation of this 10 o'clock closing thing in pubs so it'll be last orders at 10 but you can stay till 11 to to finish your drinks this will take you back to my youth of the f- fantastic rush to get your pints in before uh, you got chucked out so how important is this save christmas goal Both politically and economically, do you think? Or is it, is it, uh, have they improved on the three word slogan with the two word slogan?
1: (laughs) I can't see that it doesn't make that much economic difference. I'm sure it will make a a small one, but if you can't go, if if it's very hard to go out and if you're limited in how many people you're going to see over Christmas, then that does put rather an inhibition on it. But nevertheless, there'll be some benefit from it. The main reason that they're doing it is simply cultural. You know, it's not like they did this for Eid or whatever. I mean, they're doing it right now because they, cannot be seen to be clamping down on Christmas. And to be fair to them, this is a problem that's being faced like across Europe. I mean, Macron's being actually quite tough on this stuff. It's still not clear if the French are going to loosen up for Christmas. You've got various proposals going on in Spain and Germany, all of which, look, I mean, for Germany, you know, losing their Christmas markets is a a key part to the way Mm -hmm. the Germans think of Christmas. And it does look like they're not going to get those markets. In our case, it looks like they're going to open up from the 23rd to, I think, the 27th, although that's still to be confirmed. And then we're probably going to lock down for at least a month after that on the basis of those five days. And, and you know, we look at it into, that's almost like a privileged way of looking at it, right? Because we're saying to us, okay, well, I'm going to have to go into lockdown afterwards. But actually for lots of people, it won't be that simple. It'll be that we'll have lots of, you know, Christmas is by definition, a multi-generational event. It's when the young and the middle-aged and the old get together. So you're going to have a bunch of young people, you know, going from university campuses or whatever, right to meeting the grandparents. And lots of people say, well, you know, practice social distancing. It's like, well, actually, one of the worst things you can do with coronavirus is be in a closed room without an open window, be drinking and talking to each other. You know, because the more you drink, the more sort of animated you get, the more you talk, you laugh, you arguably shout about politics. All of that is terrible for transmission. So also there will be a, a,
0: a cost to human lives by what they're doing over Christmas, but it seems like they're gonna do it anyway. Yeah, I mean this this kind of emotional appeal of this could be my last chance to spend Christmas with my grandmother. Well, it's well, you will guarantee it's your last chance to spend Christmas with your grandmother if you come back from university and give her the coronavirus. It seems to be an odd and limited way <laughs> yeah, of thinking about this. I
1: think we're all we're all a bit traumatized by it as well, aren't we? Because no matter what you think of Christmas, I mean it is it's one you know, you, you definitely have those people in your family that you always think, Well I just they will lose their shit if Christmas doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, this is a, a core part of how they look at the year and the prospect of being alone for it is t- too awful to sort of even contemplate. The other thing is just the, the remorseless logical reality of what coronavirus entails and how it's transmitted. The combination of those things is really difficult. And I mean, like that's a conversation that's going on in my own household as well. Like, I mean, th- this stuff is really, really difficult. It's not surprising that the government takes the easiest possible course, especially on any kind of traditionalist, you know, sort of crowd policing thing, which is basically to say, well, we want Christmas to happen, so
0: fuck the consequences.
1: But for everyone else, I, I think it is a bit of a torturous decision making process.
0: I quite like the, uh, the public health official in the Northeast, I, I-, I forget his name, who-, who said we should just do Christmas in June. <laughs> and I thought that's great. We can all pretend to be Australian and you know, be outside. You know, white wine in the sun, Tim Minchin, all that kind of thing. But it's not purely cultural, is it? Because there is a business reason to this. There are there are businesses that are hanging on by their fingernails. Christmas is an, an opportunity for them to not exactly you know turn themselves into successes, but perhaps just hang on. The spending is is enormously important. And the backdrop to this is is very rebellious and restive conservative backbenchers. The Guardian this morning is saying that Johnson has effectively bought off a revolt from these uh, backbenchers with a promise of instant testing with results there and then. Now, given the track record of of testing in this country is not stellar, are you expecting him to be able to deliver on this wild promise? I mean, he, he never makes wild promises and fails to deliver on them, does he? Yes, no, he doesn't have that
1: kind of track record at all. I mean, I have, I don't know about you, but I, I have, I just discount anything that's non-vaccine related from this government. So, I I mean, I've seen two more suggestions today as to what they're going to do. You know, one of them is getting rid of this two-week self-isolating system when you come into contact with someone and instead replace it with daily tests. And and I just sort of read it and just think, I just don't fucking believe you. I just don't believe that you have the capacity, the competence to deliver on something like this. So for me, I've just sort of tuned out. I'm in that point. You know, when you're watching a movie that you end up not liking and you're like sort of... 25 30 minutes in and then you just sort of think now you know what i think i'm out i'm out you know i i don't like this i don't like the tone i don't think it's very i good. don't
0: care if the monster gets you exactly. i actually want the monster to get you exactly trim a, tr- trim a deep blue sea when mm. uh the shark jumps out the water and eats a very important character i was hugely relieved because at least it shuts him up <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little like that but i'm taking you off track here aren't i <laughs> What do you think lockdown two has done to government fortunes and to the perception of the government's ability and competence on this thing? Because we were, it's months you know, eons ago, about weeks ago, we were told it wasn't going to happen and then it did. Are, are people so punch drunk now that they just don't really care that they were told one thing and then another thing happened? Yeah, you see, I think that that's where we are now. That, this is the, the
1: danger of persistently catastrophic governance, which is just that you start to price it in. You know you and i 've sort of almost just done it myself by what I just said it 's just, just like you stop being outraged and you stop being affected by what 's going on because you just work on the assumption that, that someone 's it 's like meeting someone who will constantly lie to you that you eventually just stop judging them on that basis because you just think well that 's just what this guy does you know um, and that 's kind of where we are now like if you look at what they 're putting out about the tier system that they 're going to bring in when lockdown ends on December the second and it really does look like lockdown is going to end on December the second I mean, it is a tacit admission that everything they said before lockdown about the tier system was catastrophically wrong. You know, I mean, they're putting out stuff from stage saying, look, it wasn't tough enough. They themselves are basically going to a system where tier one doesn't exist. Tier one from before the lockdown doesn't exist. Tier two is basically what tier three was before the lockdown. And tier three is basically lockdown, right? I mean, it's pubs can't open. Uh, restaurants can't open unless they're giving you stuff to take away cinemas are closed gyms are. Go- I mean, it's locked is what it is you know no indoor mixing that is a lockdown so right then and there and there's almost no commentary on that right you you read through I mean, people are saying what looks like it's coming in but there's no assumption of well if that is the case everything they said about these tiers before lockdown was false and all of the criticism that was made of them was correct and yet again, they're not really held to that. Partly, I think because we've just started working on the assumption that they will always
0: fuck up. And so we stop judging them for it when they do. As somebody with a January birthday, I know how dismal January can uh, can be. I, I think it's going to be a real doozy this year <laughs> uh, as we return to a brand new tier, tier four, the entire country will be frozen in carbonite. So, um, on top of all this uh, let's not forget brexit deal uh, which has seems to have been on ice for a while spiraling stacked over london like a, like a, like a plane <laughs> that nobody wants we've been told to expect news one way or another this week you know come what may without fail what are you expecting
1: yeah maybe it's hard to tell you know it's 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 coming down to the wire more than i more than i thought it would it hasn't made me question my belief which has occasionally been looking <laughs> alarmingly more like faith <laughs> that there will be a deal. But it it has looked quite touch and go. And it's strange that it's pushing on this long. I mean, there's some political reasons for that. You know, some people sort of saying, well, actually, Dominic Cummings leaving made it harder for Boris Johnson to come out and say it's got a deal because it makes it look like the theatre, the sort of symbolism of it would make it look like, you know, he was only able to do it because he was capitulating to the EU when the main Brexit guy had left. I mean, in truth, they do seem to be struggling to come up with terms that can be applicable. The latest is this idea that you just basically go back to the deal after a few years. In the UK's case, it was saying, well, we'll come back and look at this stuff on fishing or maybe the whole deal after three to four years. And the EU come back and saying, well, actually, you know, we can do that in 10 years. So again, you're you're looking at ways of trying to reduce the friction of the immediate moment in in how the deal is being processed. But it it looks like we could have something this week. I wouldn't put it past them to go, we've had plenty of these deadlines before. We no, I mean, the, in terms of the ratification of it, we were getting sort of news that the European Parliament might return after Christmas, but before New Year's, to sort of vote on the deal that was through. So lots of people are doing a lot of work to figure out how can you get this thing done in terms of the legal sign off on it at a very, very high pace, a very, very fast pace, if, if these talks go on and on and on. So look, it could be this week, it could be next week it's still possible this thing falls apart. It's
0: not the most likely outcome. It's looking like quite bad diary management, though, isn't it? Because whether it's if it's no deal or whether it's a deal that can be portrayed as a climb down, it's going to land in the middle of a harsh financial settlement week. It's going to land in the middle of the time when Rishi Sunak says, uh, you know, uh, fun times are over. But well, you see, the thing is,
1: I don't think Rishi Sunak is going to say hard times, uh, good time. I think basically, sorry, let me, let me say that again. I don't think Rishi Sunak is going to say good times are over. I, I think ultimately this is going to be like the last hurrah sort of spending review. You know what I mean? Because like the, the, there's still spending in there. That's the thing is there's still projects that they're, they're chucking out there. You, if you even look at that defense thing, there's not going to be much more of that in the future, right? I mean, I think this is the last, you know, gifts, gifts for everyone bit. And that's how it will be perceived at the time. And certainly when we look back on it, you know, in 2024 or 2023 or something, that'll be, you know, we'll think, oh, there's wonderful days where they were throwing out money compared to where we are now. So on that basis, not so much. and then also there's the fact that, you know, because it will likely be a deal, I mean, they will just treat, and I think they're right to treat it this way, a deal it just means good things in terms of press. I mean, it's basically, for most people, the overwhelming majority of people out there just... A deal is good and no deal is bad, even though there are, of course, as we've said many, many times, many, many shit, bad kinds of deal. But nevertheless, on that, I think they'll, they'll feel right. So it's not ideal diary management for them, but I don't think it's anything too tragic. And at this point, the main thing is just trying to get an agreement.
0: I don't think I can face the headlines towards the end of this week as, the, as uh, they try to spin this. I think we're going to get Santa Sunak's coming to town, and I'm also placing <laughs> ten quid on it's Rishmus. Oh, I think that's what we're getting. Fucking horrible! You were sort of lost
1: to the to, 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 to I, I don't know maybe the mirror or the sun. Really, you should have been writing headlines for these guys rather than the music
0: press for the last twenty. 20- I know it's a it's a plague, isn't it? So finally, before we go, and I'll let you go and get a coffee, and and, and finally, sort of face the oh horror of the day. In further diary management news, the government managed to make the pretty Patel thing happen after we'd recorded all of our podcasts last week. Pretty Patel, non apologising for her non bullying. <laughs> what did this do, Ian? to The vaunted reset, which, uh, of uh, you know, of a kind of gentler conservative government where people are treated with respect and uh, there's no uh, monstrous Dominic Cummings kicking around.
1: I mean, obviously, look, for anyone paying attention, you think that looks like bullshit. this is just the way that you guys always behave. You know, it's almost, I mean, people call it Trump like. I mean, Trump over the last few weeks has behaved so badly that one of the you know, one of the great disadvantages of him doing so is that any comparison you make with him
0: from anyone else, looks unfair yeah. because he is just so grotesque. Yeah, at least this government is not actually deliberately allowing people to die from negligence and playing golf instead. You can at least say that yeah no,
1: Exactly, and they're not trying to undermine a legitimate election result, to be fair to them. However, I don't know how much cut through this really has with most people. You know, the details of what the ministerial code contains. and I mean, there'll probably be a bit of a sense of, you know, they're standing by someone who's been accused of wrongdoing. But I don't think it will push them off course with with this sort of stuff at all, really. I, I I don't think it will really register with voters, certainly by the time they go back to the polls. But I think even by next week, they won't really sort of take too much on it. What you can sort of expect, perhaps, is a kind of cumulative build-up of kind of tarnished honour from a government that just increasingly makes it look just corrupt and venal and self-interested um, as the years go on. And that we might get something out of. I mean, the, the rest of it, it just seemed like they will always behave in this way. And their main aim with a lot of this stuff isn't this part so much. It's really, you know, is in terms of his reset after Dominic Cummings, it's more like, am I listening within the party are, they, are we viciously briefing against different parts of the party or different government departments? And that part, he's still, you know, it's only been a
0: few days, <laughs> but that part cool. he's maintained after the departure of Cummings. I don't know about that that, that cut through, you know, because my, my totally scientific canvassing yeah. over the weekend of my mum and dad, a couple of friends, is that the takeaway is this government stands by bullies. Oh, interesting this government mm. will stand by a bully, no matter how obvious it is. You know what people are like for forming a strong opinion based on comportment and you know uh, facial expression and so forth. The, the image of, of Pretty Patel as a horrible bully, as a horrible boss, was well established long before this report came. And obviously the report's been sat on since April. This is what people think, and it's confirmed, well, the people that I've talked to, the handful, the scientific sample of a handful of people. Just before we go, though, uh, the, the, the Conservative press has been briefing madly that she's going to be demoted and got rid of anyway as you say damaged goods why not just take the free get out why not why not just play the go to jail card and say well i'm sorry pretty had to resign because she'd been found in breach of ministerial code let her spend another six months on the back benches and then get her back in uh, as you would under normal practice it seems strange to stand by her publicly form a square around the pritster as that revolting little phrase had it and then bin her off in a few months time anyway
1: well, they got form on
0: this i mean shit look at Dominic cummings for instance and look how well that worked out. If he'd just been ceremonially executed in the rose garden, everybody would have been perfectly happy. That would have been the end. I know the like way that I
1: can never really have a half-hour conversation with you without you at some point descending into Stalinist fantasies. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of big changes when I'm in charge <laughs> here. Look, I mean, ultimately, she, she might. They might have that wrong. They might have that right. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen just because it's been briefed to them. The right wing press have been full of an absolute load of utter horseshit this weekend. I would point you, by the way to the headline in the Telegraph, I think on Sunday, of, you know, pretty Patel to organise reorganisation of, of the Home Office, you know, according to new management structures, which was just so full of the most basic level of, um, of incorrect information and just taking the government shit handed to them in an envelope and consuming it while politely cutting it up with a knife and fork and regurgitating it for their readers that I've seen in a really long time, really, really gross uh, stuff. A lot of this stuff with Patel goes back to the core thing of how Cummingsy is Johnson really once Cummings has gone, right? So this thing with the attack on the civil service, the war on the civil service, we ultimately see that as the Cummings part. The fact that they still right now feel like they must behave in this way does go some way towards indicating that Johnson himself, in the way he chooses to act autonomously on his own stead, still does not have the ability to give in where there's a war with the civil... With, with the civil service. We're still trying to make sure, well, no, I'm not going to apologise. I will, you know, protect all the people that are accused of that because he sees it as fun- that kind of fundamental conflict in government. So uh, the answers to these questions ultimately go to the heart of how Johnson is going to behave now that Cummings is gone.
0: Well, I'm sorry that you feel disappointed, Ian. I'm sorry that you feel unhappy. Uh, nothing to do with anybody's deeds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel that way. And in many senses, it's your own fault for feeling that way. But thank you for getting up early and filling us in on the coming events of the week. It's early on Monday morning. It already feels like the middle of Wednesday. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the bunker so that you don't miss the dailies, which come out on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And of course, the, the full bore panel show which comes out on tuesday mornings also we've got some interesting christmas shopping news coming up because we too are going to save christmas much better than the government <laughs> would you can find out about that on the podcast soon this week but also you can find a little bit more if you back us on patreon search patreon bunker podcast to find out about getting the podcast early and our astonishing merchandise range, which is wonderful thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow bye bye The Bunker Daily was produced
1: and presented by Andrew Harris. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofrenievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Rees. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.